I know, you're probably so tired of hearing the phrase, the Great Resignation. And you yourself might be struggling to attract and keep your strong performers. If that's the case, stay tuned because that's what I'm talking about today on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that challenges small business owners and entrepreneurs just like you to dare to be the exception. Join our host, customer experience expert, Mark Hain, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you script and direct your business and teams to create jaw-dropping experiences your customers and staff deserve. Here is the host of Experience Leadership, author of Lights, Camera, Action, customer experience expert, Mark Hain. Welcome to this episode. Today, I'd like to discuss how you can use the skills and capabilities you already have to curtail this mass exodus that we're seeing in the workplace, a mass exodus that is called the Great Resignation. I just want to take a moment to thank you for being here with me. I know that your time is valuable and you have tons of choices on how to spend your time. I hope I honor that investment with today's content and give you some ideas on what you can maybe do to explore differently. If you would like, you can always put comments wherever you're consuming this content. Go ahead and put comments in the comment box. Please leave me a review if you're if you're doing this. But ultimately, I'd love to see your comments and questions. If you can hashtag it, experience leadership, it means I can track it and help make you part of this conversation. I know that this is such a stressful time for employers between losing staff and then not being able to find capacity within the labor market, businesses are suffering through a lack of customer service, higher costs, and lower profits. So I'd like to know from you our question of the day. So how are you doing? Are you seeing this mass exodus of some of your most talented people? Maybe some of those People have left during COVID and you are having a hard time replacing all those bodies that you've lost. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your stories. Why don't you share your stories, your comments in the, in the comment box? Feel free to put it on your favorite platform, but please do make sure that you hashtag it experience leadership. I'd love to follow along with the conversation and have you part of that conversation. This past weekend, I was speaking with Cynthia. She runs a hardware store in the city here, and we were having a a really good conversation. Through the uncertainty of government mandates, the layoffs that she had to do, you know, she lost more than half of her staff. That's close to 200 man hours that she now cannot fill. It's, It's been really tough on her. She and her managers have had to work extra hours, and she's having to pay out much more overtime than she ever has, which, of course, affects, you know, her bottom line. People are tired. They're stressed out, and they don't seem to have any relief. There's, it really seems like, you know, right now she's hanging her hat that there's going to be an influx of students in a couple of weeks as they get out of high school and as they are coming home from college and university and stuff. But right now, you know, aside from that, there she doesn't see a relief for these positions. So today, I'd like to share with you some strategies I shared with her in case you're feeling the same way. Sometimes just being able to pick out what one person is experiencing and then kind of learning those lessons as we go forward 
maybe we can use this information to share. And again, I encourage you to share comments, share your stories, because I know that if you're experiencing something, other people are as well. And, you know, I've always said that as leaders, you know, our biggest power is that we can share what we know as opposed to hoarding it inside of us. What I find really ironic about customer-centric businesses like Cynthia's is that we already have the skill sets to solve the problem. And no, I don't mean that we can use her hammers from the hardware store to bash people over the head. (laughs) The magic key is to become more customer-centric with our approach to our employees. Now, wait, don't just disconnect just yet. I know that you're looking at me and saying, Mark, I am tired of people telling me I have to treat my employees like customers. They're not customers. But please hear me out on this. Because as leaders, we do serve our employees. We do. If you've reviewed any of my other episodes, and if you haven't, I encourage you to go back to, especially my solo shows, If you've watched them, you'll know that I look upon our role as leaders as the guides to help and support our staff on their journey with us. We are the Yodas to their character. We are there to help guide them through their path, their journey. So on today's show, I'd like to highlight the four key elements of customer service that you can leverage with your employees that will make them want to stay. I think this is an important thing. And, you know, what's nice about these strategies, none of them have anything to do with hammers. (laughs) So we will get to that right after this. When the spotlight shines on your business, are customers applauding or yawning? In other words, how is your business performing? Make your business a star with a new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater by Mark Hain. Mark uses his business and acting experience to help you see your business like a live show so you can create a performance your customers will never forget. Buy Lights, Camera, Action today at your favorite online retailer or directly at markhain.com. Welcome back. We are talking about what you can do to stem the bleeding of your employees leaving. In a recent labor turnover survey, one-third of the people you will hire today will quit within six months. So, let me get this straight. You've suffered with being short-staffed, and now one employee out of the last three that you hire will quit within six months, according to the statistic. By the way, that equates to about four million people quitting their jobs each and every month in the U.S. The Dastardly thing is, and yes, I said the word dastardly, (laughs) 75% of the reasons people leave their positions can be prevented. I hang my hat on teaching that, like customers, our employees are on a journey with us. I go deep into experience journey model that I teach in chapter 18 of my book. So if you haven't picked it up, it's a good way to get kind of a primer onto what I'm talking about. And so they are on this journey, and on this journey, they hit several different milestones. How we serve them and meet their experience expectation on each of these milestones will denote if they stay on the journey with us or plunge into the pool of the tainted. But before we can get into the key elements, we need to uncover why is it that people are leaving? You see, like your customers, if employees don't trust the organization, they will not stay. In fact, according to a recent Gallup poll, one-third of employees don't trust their employers today. And again, like your customers, if your customers don't trust you, they're not going to do business with you. And your employees are the same way. Likewise, if 
your customers don't feel that you value them, they won't continue to be part of your business. And it's the same thing with your employees. If your employees don't feel valued at work, 76% of them will look for other job opportunities. This idea of feeling valued is the new commodity in businesses. People want to know that what they do matter and that they make a difference to the organization. If you relegate people to be in pigeonholes where they're just putting grommets on fabric and it's just factory work and people wake up every day and that's going to be their reality, well, you can pretty much bet that they're going to look for something that gives them a reason to get out of bed in the morning. There is a multitude of reasons why people leave. Multitude. Some of them are things like lack of training and development opportunities, poor communication, unclear job descriptions, inadequate staffing levels, lack of recognition. All these things are coming together to push people in and say, you know what? I think there might be something better out there for me. And they're not going to last too long with you. You know, I remember when I was working, so this would have been now 12 years ago, working for a hotel. And I remember that the biggest challenge that we had in retaining staff was that we had competition in this small town. And I remember my cook coming to me and says, Mark, give me 50 cents or I will leave and I'll go across the street because they're giving me 50 cents more an hour. And my thought process was, if that was what was important to them, then I might as well let them go because it'll be 50 cents today, but then in another couple of months, it'll be another 50 cents and then another 50 cents and so on and so forth. And really, at the end of it, it was all about, I wanted a culture where people wanted to work in and that they fulfill, had fulfillment doing the work that they wanted. So I invited him to seek his happiness elsewhere. He went across the street for, I had to say, is about three or four weeks. And then he came back saying, oh, can I please have my job back? And at that point, I turned around and I said, no, if you didn't see the value of what we had to offer at the time, I don't need you to come back in, do your work, and then feel that 50 cent difference will drive you to another, another place of employment. So right now, these reasons why people leave is it's if people come to you about money, there's something bigger there. It's because they're not getting the value of working for you. That really was what attracted to you in the first place. It could be that they, you know, just the mere fact of getting a job is what attracted them to you. But then as you sell them that bill of goods, like you with your customers, you sell them a bill of goods. And as long as you're delivering on those bills of goods, if you keep up to your promises, then uh, we are able to keep them. But the list why people will leave is going to be long. And so we have a really big uphill battle to understand in our corporate culture, in our businesses, what is it that is holding people and what is driving people away? In our businesses, we should not only be measuring the customer churn, which I hope you're doing. I hope you're being very sensitive to really watching your customer numbers and finding out, you know, are we keeping our customers? Do we have, you know, what's the lifetime value of our customers? What is the lifetime spend of our customers? All these different things. I hope you're measuring these. And if you're not, please do go through the library of videos that I have because I do talk about this in great detail. But aside from measuring the customer churn, we must measure employee churn. We must have an understanding of what's going on with our employees. So the big question is, how do we do that? Well, back in my day, we used to do exit interviews. That's where we ask the people who quit to come back and be interviewed as to their experience working with us. The funny thing is, for some people, when they were 
unhappy and they were unhappy working for us, our employers, the employer themselves, when they do these exit interviews, would get their knickers in a twist, which, by the way, is a official leadership HR terminology, getting your knickers in a twist. <laughs> and, you know, they'd become defensive. You know, they'd get this feedback from an employee during the exit interview and going, well, you know, it's just as well that they're going because they are disgruntled. They have nothing positive to say. In fact, it's so interesting that on Glassdoor, you have people who are leaving reviews of the places where they've worked and where they've quit. And it's interesting talking to the business owners who get bad reviews because, you know, they're saying things like, well, you know, if they're allowed to leave a bad review on Glassdoor, I should be able to leave a staff evaluation on Glassdoors and tell people how bad they were as employees. And it's just, it just doesn't work that way. We are in control of our work environments. And in my experience, exit interview, interviews, even with people who were either leaving for other opportunities or because they were disgruntled, really, it's about using those information to create actionable outcomes. And what's unfortunate is most people didn't. Most people would shrug their shoulders and nothing would happen. If they went to, depending on the culture, if they went to their existing staff who didn't quit and say, hey, you know, I just did an exit interview with Steve. And Steve says, I'm domineering and mean. You don't think that, do you? And of course, what are all the employees going to do? No, sir. No, you're not domineering and bullying at, at all. <laughs> but the other thing about exit interviews is that they are an after-the-fact metric. That is, the damage is already done. Interviewing employees after they've quit, that's kind of sort of like Getting your car, not getting your car service, then wondering what you could have done to prevent the breakdown. It's like not quitting smoking and then learning that you should have listened to your doctors when they said it might make you sick. It's like your house burning down and then wondering if testing fireworks in your family room was a good idea. <laughs> Ultimately, the damage is done. It's too late to do anything for this one in particular employee because you know, you have to understand that people don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to quit. When people leave you, they go through this whole check and balance thing. They debate with themselves. They do pros and cons lists. They are testing things. I remember when I quit one particular position, I had my resignation letter under my computer keyboard for weeks. It was something that I knew it was like, before I resign, I'm just going to I just, you know, maybe it'll change. And so I just left it there. And three weeks passed. And then finally, I was in another tiff with the, the manager. And I, I, I said, you know, obviously, we're not seeing eye to eye. So I'm going to give you this. And he was absolutely blown away that I had it all. Oh, you've been thinking about this for a while. Every one of your employees who are quitting have thought about it for a while. In fact, the statistics show that you have disengaged employees right now in your business. Do you know who they are? Because they exist. As much as you might turn around and go, no, everybody loves it here. Everybody's fine. Every you do have people who are hovering in the, what I call the pit of the tainted. So it's incumbent upon you to be able to turn around and recognize who those people are so you can really knock it off at the pass before they resign. It might surprise you to think that to become more employee-centric with your employees, you have to become more customer-centric with your employees. That means approaching them when you have an opportunity to fix the problem. 
If you've been following me for any length of time, you know my background is in hospitality. I love hospitality. I love the service industry. It is, you know, at the end, one of the biggest rules, it is so much better to approach a table full of diners, for instance, after they got their meal and taken the first or second break. Then you can go to them and you can say, hey, how's your meal tasting? Is it good? It gives you the opportunity to fix it right then and there rather than when they're paying their bill and you go, so how was everything? Oh, I'm so sorry. And then expecting them to come back. It's the same thing with your employees, approaching them when you have the ability to fix the issue, address concerns and adjust to the changing situations in their job, in your culture, in your business, whatever the changing situation is so much better than waiting until that they're pissed off and they have their resignation in their hand and saying, I'm so sorry you weren't unhappy. Can you make some time to come in and tell us what went wrong? Please come. I want to know everything because I want to be approachable. Now that you're quitting, I want to show you this person who is so approachable. And I want you to have this heart to heart with me and tell me everything we did wrong. The overarching lesson here, and it bears repeating, is just like we have customer-centric policies, we must now have employee-centric policies. Policies and procedures that support the needs of our employees, not just policies and procedures that support the needs of our business. We need policies and procedures that support the needs of our employees. And as I've alluded to at the beginning, these are skills that you already have if you serve customers. You know how to be of service. I really loved how I was trained with, if you're not serving a customer, you damn well better be serving someone who is. That was a philosophy I grew up with. And I always thought that was brilliant because no matter what role I was in, I knew that no matter what, my role was to be of service. I think it was a uh, car manufacturer who had the tagline, our customers are job one. I encourage you to make your employees your customers, the people that you serve. Make them job one. In the case of exit interviews, obviously the opposite to that would be stay interviews. Becoming the coaching and mentoring center of your business. These are the components of the first key element is no longer adequate to meet your employee once a year for the dreaded performance evaluation. I encourage you to drop that altogether. No, today's employee-centric leaders need to be proactive and engaging with their employees. Like our customers, our employees need to know that we care. This is so imperative if we want to be able to keep people. But this brings us to the second key element. Just like your customers have to trust you to do business with you, your employees need to trust you to work for you. There's a lot in that statement. What does it mean to be trustworthy? At its core, it means delivering on your promises, but it goes so much deeper. I do encourage you to read Stephen Covey's book, The Speed of Trust does a great job outlining this idea between trust and competencies and capacity and so on. And I, I encourage you to read it. I will say, though, to be trustworthy, and, and notice I did not say to be perceived as trustworthy or to act trustworthy. I said to be trustworthy. You have to be authentically you. With all your flaws and all your imperfections, you have to be you first. 
That means no personal agendas, no hidden objectives, no carrot and sticking. And for those people who aren't baby boomers, carrot and sticking, if you can imagine, you know, the old timey, you know, with the donkey trying to get the donkey to move, you put a carrot in front of their nose and they try to reach the carrot with their mouths. And because they do that, they walk forward. And that was a way to get them to walk forward. The other carrot and sticking metaphor is that you feed people as a reward or you beat them with the stick when they do bad things. Carrot and sticking no longer works in our work environments anymore. The nice thing about being trustworthy, though, is you never have to remember what mistruth you told to whom. And trustworthiness is a huge factor in our third key element. And we'll get to that right after this. Attention, meeting and event planners. Is your company or association planning a live or virtual conference, seminar, staff retreat? Are you looking for a fresh, energetic perspective on what it takes to put on a jaw-dropping experience for your customers or staff? Book customer experience expert Mark Hain for your next group event. Past participants have said, Mark kept us in stitches while teaching us how important and powerful actually designing our customer experience can be. Read more testimonials and find out how Mark can serve you and your group at markhain.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-A-I-N-E.com. Welcome back. I hope you are finding value in today's episode. As you can probably tell, I'm super passionate about this topic. I just like to put it out there that if you belong to an association or a company that you feel could use this information, and maybe you would like to delve a little bit deeper, maybe you'd like to workshop what this might look like for your business, please drop me a line and let's connect. My contact information is in the show notes. So far, in order to stave off the endless resignations and labor turnover, we've talked about the importance of becoming customer-centric with our employees, so becoming employee-centric, treating them more like we are being of service to them And we've outlined the importance of being trustworthy. The third key element we need to talk about is tightly tied to our second key element, and that is walking the talk. I remember a uh, very cute and public service ad where, oh, you know what? Let me just show you. It looks like rain again today. Dark clouds gather and fill the sky Don't know how to talk to you Just know how to say goodbye Have you actually got a climber's license? Go back where you came from I'm not saying that children are like your employees or employees are like children, but I do make the argument that as a leader, you set the tone of how people behave in your work environment. You set the tone for what they do and how they do it. 
That is, whatever expectations you have on how your employees are to behave with one another or on the job or with customers, you have to model all those traits. Gone are the days of, don't do what I do, do what I say. (laughs) In fact, I shared a story, I think it was a couple episodes ago, I shared a story of my son helping me at the hotel that I was working at. We were getting ready for a banquet and he was helping me move a table. And it was really interesting because we were moving the table down the corridor and he goes, you know what, dad? He says, from the minute you walked in here, you've had a big smile on your face. And I said, well, yeah, you know, as a general manager, I have to set the tone by which I want everybody else to work. I can't let my stress affect my team. And, you know, if you've read my book or read any of my blogs, you know that my theory is as leaders, we're supposed to absorb stress, not create it. Anyway, my son was looking at me. He goes, dad, that is so great. Could you do that at home? There you go, right? People notice the way you behave and how you behave. And so it's incumbent upon us to make sure that you do what you say. Your customers have high expectations of you and your business, but so does your staff. And this whole idea of familiarity breeds contempt, where because they see you every single day, they might see your good days and your bad days. The idea here is that it's imperative to be walking your intention. You have to be the one to set the guiding principles of your culture and of your business. If you've done a good job, you've hired the right people with the same values as you, or even complementary values. Nothing is more important to today's employee than to know that there is an alignment of values. More so today with the Gen Ys and the young Gen Zs. Initiatives that you take the lead in, like being socially responsible and socially relevant, is essential. Today's workers need this stability in this almost post-pandemic era. Because don't fool yourself, we are in a new era. The way that we used to do things will no longer work. And as Gen Zs are entering the workforce, my daughter's Gen Z, she's 20 years old now, she's in the workforce now. You as a leader must be proactive in setting the culture and walking the talk, making absolutely sure that you are intentional about your expectations. It will not only reaffirm the trust people have put into you, it will get them to follow you to the ends of the earth. I hope this is making sense and that you're finding this information useful. And I hope you're giggling just a little bit as well. This is a really deep subject, but, you know, it's okay to look at this, these elements and have fun, just like it's okay to have fun with your customers. It's okay to have fun with your employees as well. The fourth key element is to make people the most important aspect of your business. Now, I know, I know the big business mantra that's out there is, if there's no margin, there's no mission, which means that if you're not pulling a profit, you're not going to be able to run your business for very long. But I guarantee you that putting your people first will get you to that margin. Just like if you invest the time and attention to fulfill the needs of your customers, investing the time and energy to fulfill the needs of your employees will reap huge rewards. Your people want to know that they matter. And having well-defined job roles with ways to let people play outside their job description is huge. Whenever I speak in front of a group of leaders, one of the questions I ask them is, do they have people on their team whose capacity and capabilities far exceed the limits of their job description and almost every hand goes up? It's incredible to see it. So I encourage you to understand where people's zones of genius are where would they like to play? 
and find ways to make that happen, even if it's outside the realm of what you hired them to do. This is where becoming a coach and a mentor rather than their manager plays huge dividends. If you find out where their passions are, you can take steps to support them in it. Again, even if it's outside their job description. 3M and Google became famous for their 20% time that allowed employees to work on their passion projects that ultimately led to the company creating new innovations because of what their staff did because they had an idea and they got to play. Being the coach and mentor will give you insight into your employees' desires for the future. What training do they want? How do they want to be developed? How can you support that? And the last thing I want to mention on this fourth element of being a people-first culture is design work-life integration. Before COVID, we were focusing on work-life balance. Today, with remote working, hybrid working, back-to-office policies, we must start looking at work-life integration. Compared to work-life balance, which was a little bit of work, a little bit of We're looking at how does work and life integrate together? How do we encourage finding that integration so that we have a more holistic view of work and life? There is no doubt that mental health is a huge concern these days. I just lost a really good friend, and I I wish there was some way of understanding what mental health concerns he had. But becoming people centric and creating focus to this work life integration, I think, will be the key. The, I just uh, heard the news report yesterday or the day before that the province of Ontario was the first Canadian jurisdiction to explore right to disconnect legislation. They're actually going to legislate this idea that employees will have the right to disconnect. But as business leaders, we need to set this as a dominant employee-centric policy. We need to take the lead. We need, again, if you're talking with your employees, if you're coaching and mentoring with your employees, you're going to find out the ins, the outs, the down, the, you know, what's wrong, what's working, what's not working. You're going to find out what are some of the things that are stressing them because you've created this trusting, open culture that is working towards integrating life and work. And you'll be able to define really strong policies about when to work and when not to work with all our connectivity and all the expectations around Ooh, I have to check my phone. Um, I have an email to answer. Uh, so I'm, I'm so sorry, honey. Just, just give me one second. I, I just have to answer this. We are driving burnout and mental health issues that will drive people out of our doors looking for friendlier work environments. Wouldn't it be great if that was you? You know, I talked about Glassdoor and about the power of Glassdoor. And the reviews, I think Indeed also has reviews, employer reviews. And again, you know, I look at any kind of review process as feedback. I don't necessarily want to know what I'm doing right. I want to know what I can do better. And if we could take our ego out of those reviews and actually dig deep into it, we might see that there are some common problems when we see these reviews. And as, as hurtful as some of the reviews can be when people are upset and posting reviews as keyboard warriors and that sort of thing, I think it gives us a lot of insight But this idea of being able to be a leader in your industry by turning around and saying, you know what, I'm not going to wait for the government to tell me if there's any kind of right, right to disconnect legislation. We're just going to do it. We're going to we're going to set the box of when we expect people to work and when they can't work. We're going to set a limit. We're going to say if you get an email after 530, you're not allowed to answer it until the next day. 
we're not going to let you work at home. We're going to insist that you turn off your computer. I think it's really ironic because at the beginning of COVID, there was all sorts of control software that were out there that you can install on people's computers so that bosses can sit at their home desk while their employees are sitting at their home desk and monitor what the employer was doing. Because the whole big thing was, well, if they're not in the office, how will I know that they're doing the work? And then as time progressed very quickly, people realized, well, at the end of it, I can judge people by their output. I don't need to control it. But now I think we need to be able to turn around and control when people are working. And we have to insist and find ways to create these connections so that people can integrate work into their life and not make part of their life work. You know, I think we, you know, we have this whole idea that, you know, we used to live to work as a baby boomer. That was my big thing. It was all about the employer. It's all about my job. It's all about, you know, my identity was tied to what I did for a living. And so I lived to work. And now we need to work to live. And the operative word is to live. We need to have a life. I'd like to wrap up with a couple of cautionaries. If you've watched any of my episodes, I'm always cautious about this idea of people getting this new idea and then it becomes the flavor of the month. This is something you cannot play lip service. You can't play lip service to becoming employee-centric or people-centric leader. You just can't. You can't all of a sudden come into the office and say, hey, I watched this podcast, so from now on, we're going to be people-centric. Let's sit down and write some policies. This is not something you can band-aid or make the flavor of the month. Becoming employee-centric requires intentionality, and it requires you to be strategic. It needs you to be open as a leader. It needs you to have a lot of humility to understand that you yourself are not perfect. If you play your cards right, years from now, your employees will be sending you messages on Facebook and LinkedIn saying what a difference you made in their lives. I've been privileged and honored that I got to play in different work environments where people 15 years later, 20 years later, are going, hey, Mark, I remember when we worked together. To me, that was like getting the best customer reviews. That's when you will know for sure that you've done good. I hope that this has been helpful for you. If you have any questions or comments about today's topic, or you'd like to brainstorm some aspect of your business, feel free to click the calendar link in the show notes and book a complimentary 30-minute session with me. I live to serve, and I would absolutely love to have a conversation with you about your business. What is it that you're liking? What are some challenges you're facing? It's completely complimentary, and you know sometimes you just have to step out of the bottle to see the label. And please, if you've enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe to this podcast. Share this episode with your network. I thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Mark Hain. I hope that you stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you dare to be the exception. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhain.com for a full directory of available episodes. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please share it and tell your friends about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please stay safe, 
stay healthy and dare to be the exception.